the way I kind of break it down is there's our gender conversation, the constructs of masculinity and femininity, and then there's our masculine and feminine energy. And you can, we can go back and forth on, are those the right polarities? But, but what we can say is often we are operating in this polarity of two different dimensions within ourselves. And the way we've been conditioned, we often rely on just one. And where we get to toxic masculinity is when we have too much of one and not enough of the other polarity. And we're not balanced in that tension, right? So that's, that's where I think we have an opportunity to really explore how do we become more integrated and how do we become more, more um, balanced. And I think that's for men, I think that's for women. And I honestly think that those who are non-binary are probably been thinking about this their entire lives and they probably have more balance than most of us in terms of really understanding what, you know, how they operate. Can't we just redesign the systems that don't work? The people I'm having the chance to converse with in different parts of the world are imagining new systems, new collaborations. They're imagining a new world. Welcome to Design Influence. I'm Isabel Swiderski. It's been a hot summer in New York. Last week, I had a chance to meet with Sean Harvey at the Cooper Hewitt Museum for a cool glass of water and a conversation. I first met Sean at an LGBT panel on queer entrepreneurship where we were both guests. I was struck then by Sean's ability to engage people in difficult conversations around gender, identity, and the sometimes clashing personal and public narratives we build around those topics. In a time that seems to favor headlines over dialogue and shouting over listening, Sean is trying to build bridges. How can we tame language to weaken the gender binary and facilitate compassionate conversations? How do we even create space for these conversations? Funnily enough, we had to run around the museum to find a quiet space to talk. You'll hear a bit more ambient sound than usual. In the end, we were welcomed by the outdoor courtyard and garden, and I got to hear a bit more about Sean's journey building bridges. As founder of Symponia Men and co-founder of Gender Arc, Sean is exploring new narratives around gender balance in organizations to transform people, cultures, and systems. Sean most recently served as the head of purpose, personal transformation, and well-being at Eileen Fisher. Having worked, having gone from from Wall Street to Eileen Fisher and seeing hyper-masculine models of, of doing business and, and hyper-feminine models of doing business, I thought there was something in the middle um, and some sort of went what, and started asking questions, what becomes possible when we integrate more of the best of the masculine models and best of the feminine models? And noticing in, in, this, in this day and age, especially post Me Too, that senior male leaders are resisting working with females um, and they are less inclined to mentor and less inclined to grow female employees. And so there's, a, there's between that gender inequity, the pay gap, and there's just so many ways where there's a gender imbalance. And having seen the strength working at Eileen Fisher of true feminine leadership, and the power of what women bring as leaders. And so often in more masculine environments, the, the female voice is diminished or is, is not as pronounced. And there's not, and men don't often give as much space to women. 
um, and, and often hold the space. And so it just felt like there was a need for more work around how do we create more gender balance where we are allowing men to really understand the space that they're currently taking and how to provide space for women and, and how to work together differently so we can actually solve problems differently. We can look at um, the needs in organizations differently and we can operate businesses differently. So tell me a little bit more about what you mean by masculine and feminine models of leadership. That's a good question. So, you know, I think um, well, the way that most of what I've been exposed to are masculine models of, of doing business. And so often the focus on competition, focus on data and metrics, and often really focusing on leading from the mind, really leading from the head, and not as much of leading from the heart. And I think true and effective leadership requires us to lead from both the head and the heart uh, to make better decisions and to um, have a different level of empathy and compassion in the workplace. And I think that <clears throat> the feminine leadership or feminine model of doing business just counters, complements and counters a lot of, of what you see in business. There's more of a focus on collaboration, there's less of a focus on hierarchy, uh, there's more space for people to be their authentic selves and to accommodate the, and what I saw, working on the Fisher was also a strong emphasis in, in understanding what it takes to have work-life balance and the respecting the needs of employees outside of work and how to make less distinguish um, a, you know your your work persona and your and your home persona so you told me a story about that about for when you first arrived to Eileen Fisher do you want to tell us about that to get to Eileen Fisher I, I went through an eight-month interview process and uh, I actually, just to give you a sense of, of what, what the whole experience was like, I think it's best summed up in my final interview of my interview, which was meeting with my culture officer, my chief culture officer, and my two bosses to process my own transformation as a result of the interview process. <laughs> um, that just gives you a sense of the, the um, depth at which we explored ideas and, and our own personal journey to, to develop self-development. But on my first day, my, my two bosses sat me down at lunch and said to me, Sean, um, you have proven yourself in the interview process. We now want you to stop proving yourself and learn how to be. We saw a polished consultant and we also saw your heart, but we want to see more of who you are unfiltered and we're going to support you in that process. Mm -hmm. And so that really gave a sense of um, permission as to explore who I am, what I'm about, and that there's another way that I can show up. Mm -hmm. And so, speaking of which, there's another way that you can show up. How are you inviting people in this space? You mentioned that there is some resistance currently. How are you coming in now and helping to facilitate some of those conversations? Or how are you hoping to? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, one of the, the shifts that, that we are taking in, in this work, both with men and with men and women and gender bridge building work, is looking at this as a lens of personal transformation and well-being as opposed to leading in with diversity and inclusion. You know, I think that when you look at the well-being of everyone and you look at the possible, the, the human potential that everyone has the potential to grow and to compassionately see where people are in their own journeys and to not judge them, but to really just accept where they are and say that you have, we all have room to grow. Mm -hmm. I think from that perspective, um, 
it opens up and invites people into the conversation in ways where they might not have in the past. And, um, you know, and there's not a judgment of where you are. I think there's something about creating space for, for in, in this case, for men and straight white men in particular, to be able to come into a space and not feel like they're being judged, um, where it's shame-free, and that you can come in wherever you are, you can ask whatever questions you want, and then we're here to support each other to really understand um, what, what the reality is and how we can adjust to it. Um, and then at the same time, um, building space so we can be vulnerable with each other and also understanding our responsibilities so that we, as we move in this conversation, we can hold each other accountable. So we're not negating the, the responsibility or accountability that comes with this, but it, at the same time, it's looking at how can we look realistically and, and get beyond our own biases, our own fears, or our own misunderstandings. Whose responsibility is it in the end to invite that conversation, but also one of the challenges that I see is making people aware that they have benefited from the system and that it may be invisible to them. Mm -hmm. how, how are you getting around that notion of having some men not understand that the space that has existed for women has been smaller? Mm -hmm. So I think I talked about where you start. I didn't talk about where you finish. <laughs> okay. So I think where you start is you meet men where they are. And I think what's most important is creating a space where we can be real, honest, and vulnerable with each other. So that, that means holding off on some of these conversations until you've created that safety in the room to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Once you're in those conversations, though, then it gets real. Then you start to ask the provocative questions. You start to ask the, okay, so let's look at our reality. Let's look at the world. Let's look at... You know, and so one of the things that I do is often start off with, let's look at the ways that we've been conditioned as men. Let's look at what it means to be a man, how we've been conditioned, what messages we've internalized, and how that's impacted us. Now, in the second conversation, so now how has that impacted women? How has that impacted our relationships with women? And how, have, how are women internalizing what this ideal has created for, for women, both in societally and in organizationally. Mm -hmm. And then what is our responsibility for doing that? Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of whose responsibility is this, I think it's men who look like the men in the room to be able to call the other men in the room out and say, mm -hmm. okay, we're all in this together. We've all been wounded by something. It doesn't give us a free pass to hold on to the same behaviors. Mm -hmm. So I think, for us to have those dialogues, I don't think men have enough of these dialogues together. And unfortunately, I think if women are having these dialogues, it's very easy to discount or diminish women coming in with these conversations. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important for men to be having these conversations and then allowing us to come into conversations with women. So that brings us to the fact that a lot of the work that you're doing is actually systems change. Right? Yes. I mean, so, so in, in your opinion, at this far into the work that you're doing, what do you think are the characteristics or the environment or the context, the cultural context of an organization mm -hmm. that facilitates you be able to come in? So I think first and foremost is having a, the leader or leaders um, see the need that they, that they need change. You know, it's hard for me to imagine 
organizations and teams that don't have some sort of gender imbalance um, as, as a rule. I mean, I think there, of course, there are those where there is balance, and, and we, um, we've, we've seen some of that success, but I think as a rule, we're still seeing evidence of, of gender imbalance. And you can bring it into the conversation of uh, gender inequity, uh, pay inequity. Uh, you can look at the number of women who are coming into positions of senior leadership. You can look at the number of people of color, the number of women of color who are coming in. And if those numbers are not growing over time, then we're still in the status quo. Right. So there's there's evidence to show are we is there movement or not. So I think first and foremost is leadership that buys into this idea that we need to make take more steps and more actions to creating gender equity. Um, and then looking at what are some creative ways that we can do this and how can we do something like creating more gender balance and and looking at different ways of bringing men and women together and then also creating space for men to be able to understand um, the work they need to do on themselves and also based on being in balance themselves, what impact is that having? So I think there's that. I think it's also leaders doing their own inner work is critical. <clears throat> I think from a cultural conditions, I think, you know, how is the organization embracing diversity and inclusion and really living into those values? I think it's um, how companies are looking at the well-being of their employees and you know are they are they what and how are they measuring their success are they measuring their success as an organization based on bottom line results are they when they say that they have a triple or quadruple bottom line are they really walking the talk or is that just what they're saying for their pr initiatives so i think there's something about an organization getting real and, and saying are you have you created the conditions? Do you really live your values and beliefs? And are you willing to take some risks to be able to have the conversations that need to be had? And to, to also understand that men, men often have a certain set of values, women often have a certain set of values, and are we honoring the values that men and women have and not trying to create a one-size-fits-all solution, but really understanding the differences um, and then how do we work towards um, really helping to elevate um, around of understanding those differences and having that awareness. I think it, it is evident that a lot of men are currently confused about how they can and can't behave. And of course, we can agree that there are certain things where it is obvious that there is a clear right and a, a clear wrong. But in the gray areas, um, I do understand that there's a real need to allow men to find a space for them to find their own truth. How are you able to lead them there when the rest of society is still very much resisting that notion, it seems? So one of the things that I noticed, um, I, had a, I was at a training once, and one of the men in the training um, was, um, someone had mentioned, you know, you are you know, you, you have a very healthy balance of your masculine and feminine. And he really took, was taken aback by that and um, became a little defensive. Yeah, when we were in a one-on-one -on -one together, he's like, this work you're doing is really important around integrating the masculine and feminine. So one that suggested to me that it really is about the, the safety that you create in the room. I think 
how do you navigate the gray? Now, I was a college professor for, for 10 years, so I also was used to teaching undergrads around organizational behavior, all about how to live in the gray. There's something about bringing people together into community and letting the consciousness, the collective consciousness, also kind of inform. So it's what ideas are you walking in with? Let's talk about the subject matter at hand. Let's hear perspectives from the group, and then you can start to make your own informed decision. But you have gone through a journey in, in, in that particular conversation where it's not just you inside your own head making these decisions, but you're getting a lot of different inputs plus the expert facilitator who's also giving perspective and, and, and navigating with the group as well. I think there's something about that mix that's important. That's why I think it's, you know, from the beginning I thought, what if we bring more men together into the room of men and talk about the conversations that we don't often talk about and we don't give each other permission to talk about. Now there were two, two, two experiences that led me to this. One, I was sitting in a Marianne Williamson conversation and I looked around the room and I was 85% women was my guesstimate. And I'm like, why is it that for deeper level conversation, I'm usually in a room with 85% women? Where do men go for these conversations? And then I actually went to a, a, a men's group conversation and there were about 15 men in the room and the in opening introduction and 12 of the 15 men said, I'm uncomfortable being in a room with other men being vulnerable, right? And so it said to me that one, we really have to create spaces catered to men to allow for vulnerability to happen and to allow for men to get comfortable with each other to have deeper level discussions and make that more of the norm. And I think that a lot of the men's work that's out there right now gets to that. But, you know, Mankind Project, um, probably the largest organization out there, has, has touched the lives of about 70,000 men. You know, we have a lot more than 70,000 men to, to touch and, and to connect with. So I think there's one, how do, we, how do we make this more of a norm and how do we make this... How do we start earlier? How, how do we start earlier? The second point is, I think what we're talking about is the work that comes after men's work. And it's what's the, what's the level two or the 200 level course that says, how do we move from bonding within our own group? And the same thing for, for women. So women's empowerment and men's work. What's the next level to prepare us to come into bridge conversations and to prepare us to be bridge builders? So I think that there's something about um, that level of work that we haven't been doing um, enough of. And I think we're just starting to come into that work and, and more people are, are getting on board to say we need more of this. And then also, you know, when I talk about the gender conversation, we have this emergence of, of people who are non-binary, fluid, <laughs> fluid, and trans. You know, in progressive areas, this becomes a, a more of a natural conversation. But in a lot of conservative areas, we don't talk about this. We don't talk about this in ways that are realistic about the fact that, um, you know, more and more people more and more individuals are going to identify as non-binary, especially the younger generation. So we have a generational piece as well. But in a way, could that be helpful to the conversation? It, once you get past the whole, I, this whole notion of fluidity. I think it's critical. I think, I think it is part of the, the fact that at the end of the day, when we can talk about this, we can say, so we're getting to a place where we can actually go beyond gender. 
And is there a way to invite those folks a little bit more directly into the conversation so far? Or have you found it that it, it's, it's more of a roundabout conversation depending on the environment? I think it depends on the, the environment. You know, what's great though is a lot of the companies that I've talked to um, are asking about, so how do we include the non-binary conversation? And so the way I can see it is, um, there's some emphasis on men and women so that we can create space. For, the, for those who are non-binary. But I think this also, can we create three different groups? You know, and so we're always open to men, women, and those who are non-binary. And, and if there's a large trans community, you know, you know how do we, and, and, and asking, how do you, where do you want to be in this conversation? Is, are you finding that language is a trigger or are you finding ways to get around that? When I tell men to get in touch with their feminine, I think I'm often hitting the third rail <laughs> and, uh, and and can be triggering. I think there I think there's a sophisticated sophisticated way to do it. You know, one of the things that I find interesting just in this particular example is when we talk about the masculine and feminine for men, that um, you know, or, or when we talk about toxic masculinity, the, the way it's kind of played out is that, we talk about toxic masculinity as, a, as an attack on masculinity, which is an attack on men, as opposed to it's a construct, <laughs> it's an idea, and it's all about conditioning. That there's this thing outside of us that doesn't necessarily, we are in relationship to it, it actually is not who we are. And so I think there's something about right out of the gate, dice, like one, what, what are the definition of terms we're working with? And let's just get clear on that, and, and so we're not getting caught up in language into the conversation that's preventing people from actually being fully present in the discussion. So I think that's really important. And, and so I often want to break down in, you know, how are we thinking about this? Is the room in agreement? And then can we agree to these terms? Um, and if there is disagreement, then let's talk about that. That's, that's what the space is open to. What does success look like for you in the moment and also looking forward to the impact that you can have with these new organizations that you've created? Yeah. So I think success in the moment is when I see the light bulbs go off. And as a, as a professor, I was used to, I mean, I, as a professor, I, um, that was often how I gauged, you know, are people fully present in the conversation? Are people willing to go into the discomfort? Um, and really look at themselves, and are people able to see their opportunities for their own growth? And so I think having people fully present and being able to <clears throat> be open enough to to have their own insights and their own um, their own paradigm shifts, I think those are wins. <clears throat> when we think about success longer term, you know the way I kind of the way it's mapped out in my head is once we bring men and women together into a new conversation, and men can hear women and women can hear men in a new way, then we are moving towards a healthier gender balance when we can really appreciate what the feminine brings and the masculine brings. We're not demonizing the masculine and we're not diminishing the feminine. From that place, then we can start to say, and we also think about kind of down into the foundation of it, What's the work that men need to do and women need to do to be able to come into that conversation? 
um, and then getting in, getting beyond the binary, how do we how do we create the space for all anyone across the gender arc, as we call it, or the gender continuum, that they're able to uh, really be fully engaged in the conversation. Once we do that, we start to create more of a balance. From that place of balance, then we can start to say, how do we reimagine, how might we reimagine the organization from a more integrated uh, and healthier balance of masculine and feminine? So how would that change the way leaders operate? How would that change leadership teams? How would that change the vision? How would that change metrics? How would that change the definition of success? How would that change HR practices and policies? And how would that change team dynamics? And do you think that that's how you make the case? That it's going to have positive impacts on the enterprise? At the end of the day, I think that's often how most organizations operate, is what's the impact on the business? You know, looking at do we have greater uh, gender diversity? Do we have greater racial diversity? That's a statistic. When we start to qualify, so what does it actually mean to the business when we actually elevate the feminine? We, when we move beyond the statistic of organizations that have more women in senior leadership perform better, to actually asking, so in what ways do organizations perform better when women are in senior leader, positions of senior leadership? When we can qualify that, that's gonna give us more understanding of that impacts the culture, that impacts creativity, that impacts innovation, and that, innovate, and that innovates the way that we actually go about dealing with business challenges. And so when we can start to really look at that, we're gonna see that there is a true business, and there is an outcome and an impact on the business performance. And if we stay in um, the statistics of our, of, of our metrics, then that's not gonna be as meaningful for someone who um, is looking at the bigger picture and is looking at you know, when they're looking at the, the overall. So I think the more that we can talk about the business performance, we can look at the impact on business, and that this makes good business sense, mm -hmm. then we're gonna be able to see more change. And when we start to see more examples of teams and divisions and organizations doing this, this is gonna give us, um, we're gonna be able to start to see more change in organizations, and that impact will then, I mean, the, the reality is this will impact, and I saw it on Fisher all the time, the men who are transformed by the feminine leadership, often they realize that they had changed when their wives or significant others said, honey, you've changed. You're a little different, you listen differently, you um, ask different types of questions, you're more patient, um, you manage your emotions differently, you don't get angry as much. So the reality is, if we can do this in an organizational setting, it's gonna have an impact in two directions. In the personal lives of our employees, as well as the ways we think about the ways we think about um, the impact in society. speaker and consultant, he's exploring new narratives around gender balance in organizations to transform people, cultures, and systems. This is Design Influence, and I'm Isabel Swiderski.